Welcome to the Charleston School of Law podcast in part three of our series on wellness in the law. Part one, you heard the stories of two Charleston law students, Gabriel Mangold and Jonathan Raley. In part two, we were joined by Beth Padgett from Lawyers Helping Lawyers, Professor Bill Jansen, Charleston law students, and today we are all back at the table along with Carl, a Charleston School of Law alum who will share his powerful testimony. We have another lawyer here, <laughs> and I'm so excited to have him here with us today. He's an alumni of the Charleston School of Law, the class of 2020. Carl, could you tell us a little bit about what it was like, like what your background was like? Uh, how did alcohol and or substances play a part in your life? I am from Somerville, South Carolina. Um, um, I never dreamed that I would be here as any sort of successful person as I was going to law school here. Every day I was absolutely miserable, every single day, and you couldn't tell, because I was always the guy that spoke up in class. I was always the guy that was reading in class, but I was actually reading for the next class. I didn't want anybody to see that I had the problem that was obvious to everyone. I started and I felt like I had something to prove, of course, just like everyone else, but all I did was work my way to the bottom of the class. Every day I came in and I felt like I was trying harder, but all I was doing was drinking harder. I knew I had a cover story for isolating because everyone knows that law school students are really busy people. I go to my desk at home, open my books, tell my wife, hey, I'm busy, I'm studying, and I'm just getting drunk every day. Then I'd come here sick every day. I was telling John as we were walking up here, I haven't been here in about three years. And I went to the bathroom. Gabe asked me, did I remember where it was? And I was like, sure, I do. Not really. I was like, if I just walk long enough, something will look familiar. <laughs> and even as I looked in the mirror, it was, uh, it's like I'm looking in that same mirror as a different person. Because when I looked in that mirror before, I could look at myself and tell I was less than. There's something wrong with me. I'm not all right. I'm not the Carl that I knew just five years ago, ambitiously joining the Army with the intention of, this will see me through law school. Being here with Beth Padgett, someone who I avoided like the plague when I was in law school, because <laughs> she might actually tell me that I had a problem, and I didn't want to deal with that. Drinking was part of me. Professor Jansen, I always felt too less than to approach you. Elraw Fellows, never in the same room. And even if you weren't the remarkable people in this room that you are today, I wouldn't be in a room this close to people because I always smelled like alcohol, no matter what time of day it was. Mm -hmm. If it was an early class, then I would still smell like it from the night before. Or maybe I had a couple the morning before I got on the bus. It was always an hour bus ride. Maybe I'd have a couple on the way. Or if I had an early class, right after that class, I'd have to get a, a hair of the dog that bit me. Is that how the saying I goes? Think that's the phrase, yes. I had to do that right after class. Um, restaurants here don't open till 11 o'clock. So if I had a really early class, I'd have to walk all the way down to Kudu because they'd sell their craft beers before 11 o'clock. So I could start then. And I'm sure plenty of people would see me drinking 
all the time because I didn't go far. Soul was downstairs. It's not there anymore. Um, the brick is right there, which was cheaper than Soul. Once I figured that out, <laughs> everything was great. And I'd sit at the bar between classes. I ha- I'd have a couple of hours, and I'd sit there with an open book at the bar. And I'd look like I was smart. I'd look like I was studious. I'd have my highlighters and my pens, and I looked like I was learning some things. And in actuality, I was just being miserable. I was just waiting to go home. I was waiting for something to change, but nothing would change, and I didn't know what to change. I wasn't asking for help because you'd tell me to change the wrong thing. That's what I didn't want to change. And little did I know that this addiction had me in its grips. I could feel myself not keeping up with myself. It was just about every semester I had to write one of those little excuses about, you know, why did I miss five why did I have five absences in this class or that class? On the outside, like you spoke about earlier, you can't really tell. You ask me how I'm doing, I'm doing great. If you asked me, did I study? I said, yeah, I studied all night. No, I didn't. I did a little bit better in the classes where I had time to drink before the final exams. And that's unfortunate because when I didn't have time to drink, that's how I uh, worked my way to the bottom of the class. Thank you, Carl. That is such a vivid picture of what active alcoholism looks like through the lens of law school. Thank you so much for sharing that because I can relate to a lot of that similar feeling in my story, too. So you weren't doing well, and yet you passed the bar. As I first started studying for the bar, I found out I had failed a class, so I wouldn't be able to sit for the bar. I had to take sales over again my final semester, and I had to think of a way to explain to my wife why I wasn't going to sit for the bar. Boom, I had an answer, COVID. I wound up taking sales that last semester, and I enrolled in another class, an advanced contracts class, at the beginning of that May semester, that next summer. And that was my excuse to tell my wife, well, okay, I'm not gonna sit for the bar this time for two reasons. First of all, COVID. Second of all, since I'm still enrolled in school, I can't sit for the bar. So there was that. And I was studying for the bar, I was sitting on my bed, and I just realized I'm gonna have to control my drinking if I'm gonna pass the bar. So I decided I'm going to control my drinking when the time comes. (laughs) So I kept drinking, kept studying. I was like, I got until February to study. I'll I'll quit in November or something. Hmm. That got cut short. One day my wife just came to me. She said, you got to get help. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to help you look for a rehab center, but you've got to get help. Something in me was like, she's right. It wasn't, you know, working my way to the bottom of the class. It wasn't looking in the mirror and being like, dude, you need to do something about yourself. It wasn't isolating. It wasn't just being all around miserable. It was something else that said, okay, I give. I can't do it. I can't be successful. And I can look back on those days and say, in all honesty, I couldn't be anybody's lawyer. I couldn't go and say, hey, I'll help you get your kids back. I couldn't look anyone in the eye and say, you can trust me. I'll do my best. I couldn't. And now 
I feel like I can. And that in itself is an awesome feeling. Hmm. In itself is an awesome feeling to have people that want to hear what I have to say. Because it used to be, hey, you got to hear what I got to say because I'm Carl and I'm cool. And (laughs) And now it makes me blush when people want to hear what I have to say. But, you know, that's that's humility. And that's something that's new to me. That, too, is a great feeling. Once I finally got help and was honest with myself, that's when things started to click. And even as I went into the bar, I wasn't working a program. I was just fresh out of rehab. So I had every stress management tool in the book for when it was time for me to sit for the bar. So I was in there. I was stress-free. I even told a couple people, hey, the bar isn't, the bar isn't even hard. You know? <laughs> you know all this stuff. As you study, you know you know all this stuff. And this is your second time seeing it. What you need to do is manage your stress. Totally go to L.A. for three weeks, go to a rehab center, (laughs) and your own personal chef, and you'll do excellent. And that's how I eventually became a lawyer. I got sober. Um, How I became happy, that came from working a program. That's the question. After the bar rehab and being a lawyer. It was just life okay, I'm alive, but what am I doing? What's my goal? It's like I had accomplished what I needed to accomplish, and now it's just sitting here bored and sober. Because we all want to be lawyers one day, but then, you know, the glitter starts to wear off after about two or three days. And (laughs) it's just like I've got to do this until I'm 65 unless I get lucky and I can stop when I'm 45 if I make a million dollars or something like that. And I was sober, I felt better, I got back into running, I was doing things, I wasn't isolating, but I was just empty on the inside. No one could tell because I was looking better, you know, I was speaking better, but I didn't find enjoyment in anything. Mm. Eating was like drinking water. Mm. Going to the beach was like drinking water. Flying a kite, which I used to get a lot of enjoyment out of, was like drinking water. Everything was just bland, empty. And I was just generally unhappy, but I didn't know that at first. I didn't know what normal felt like. I had been drinking for 19 years. I didn't even know what being a grown-up was like, much less how to function as a human being and find some sort of joy in this world. It was just... Okay, I've mastered law school. I've passed the bar. I'm just as smart as everyone thought I was. Now what? And eventually it came quite clear that it didn't matter how much money I made. That was not going to make me happy because no matter what, uh, I'd always want more. Recognition. I'd always want more. People to care what I think. I'd always want more. So I assume the same would be true for power or anything else that people are really after. And I needed desperately to find a way to be happy or else no one around me would be happy. I just make everybody miserable while being sober. I already did that when I was drinking. So how do I change that? And fortunately, I found a great program. I was talking to Beth shortly before this, and she says that uh, 
maybe I didn't need lawyers helping lawyers, but I, I needed something. I look at the students here with me. I'm a little envious because I, I, I wish I had done this during law school. There was plenty of times in law school, long before law school. The first time I remember telling myself I wish I didn't drink, it was probably around 2013. I was walking. I didn't have a car. I was just doing odd jobs. I had a lot of time to think because I was walking everywhere I needed to go. And I said, I, I wish I didn't drink. And I came to law school. I was around a bunch of rich, successful people that come from rich, successful families. And I, there were also people like me. But everyone just looked happier than me. Everyone had something that I didn't have, or at least that's the way I felt. And I was too afraid to speak to students, if, especially if they were talking about being sober. No, that's... That's not me. I always had the motto, I don't trust people that don't drink. I thought it was funny at the time, but maybe I should have stopped and spoken to a couple of people like, hey, how, how do you get to be successful enough to be called a great student by a great professor? That's what I wanted. And I didn't know it was as simple as going and getting help. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. What a gift. Can you expand... Uh, a little bit more upon ways that you saw your life change, both your personal life at home and, and within your, your work life um, at the office when you started to work a program? First, I became generally happy. I, I felt like there were goals beyond academic goals and professional goals. There were goals for myself, for my own happiness, and goals for my relationships with other people. I could have real relationships, and that, those relationships started with my wife first because she lives with me. So that relationship needed to be nurtured. It was, um, it was quite damaged when I was here in law school. Too many details, but I, I was married when I started law school. But if you went to this school at this time, you would have been mistaken as to exactly who I was married to. That relationship has grown to something I never dreamed possible. The relationship with my daughter. My daughter is in her first year of college. Um, that is a valuable relationship that I missed a lot of. And no, I, I can't make up for the 15 or 16 years that I missed, but it's a relationship that I can begin to nurture now because I can't change the past, but I can have some control over the future by doing the next right thing. That became something that I've been immensely proud of. And I've never had the joy or feeling of actually having a little kid running around, but having a daughter out there is an amazing feeling that I never thought I would be able to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Relationships professionally, I can talk to other people professionally without being the person that knows everything. I don't have to tell people to do anything. If I need a copy of something, I know how to use a copier. I can make the copy <laughs> myself. I have humility, so I'm not above doing anything. I'm an attorney, but I, you know, as a little kid, I used to take the trash out, and that's something I can do, too. There's that. I'm, I'm a much more helpful, genuine person. I no longer front like I know everything. I don't have to have all the answers. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask for help. As far as work, I'm there on time. You can say I got that from the Army, but I'm there on time without a hangover, which is great. I am much, much more productive. I am 
much more willing to go above and beyond without even the expectation of anything extra. And that's something that volunteer was not in my vocabulary. Doing something for free was not something I would do. People tell me, I never imagined you would be that sort of person. I never imagined that you would do something like that. And that in and of itself is something that is very valuable to me because I used to pride myself on being the a-hole in the room, being the jerk, being the person that was arrogant and that not everyone liked and that was okay with me. But also it's the genuine happiness that I've never felt before, even as a kid, the genuine sense of belonging Mm -hmm. that I now have. And that is the most valuable thing to me. Yeah. And you also learn about service too. How does that play a part in your work? Oh, yeah, that goes back to the volunteer stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, service for me is part of that complete psychic change that the big book talks about. Mm -hmm. That's something that I would have never done, and I revolt from it. Now, it's something I seek out. Yeah. How can I be of service? How can I help someone else? How can I just be a good person today? How do I create a bright spot in someone else's life instead of always just thinking about myself or thinking about those that I care about most? How about the guy that I don't know? It's something that I doubted for the longest time from (laughs) the first day I started working a program. And it's like you look at the end and it's service. And it was unimaginable, but now I can't imagine being without some sort of service. I came in and that was such a big shot in my own mind. Like I really need to be grandized, right? It turns out the greatest glorification that we can achieve is to be a servant, right? Carl, a lot of the events around the law in law school and networking events after CLEs, conferences and whatnot, there's always a drinking aspect to that for the most part. Not always. I don't want to. Um, do you experience much of that in your current iteration of your life or is that how do you deal with that sort of thing i've only been to one cle where there was an open bar at the end and i I just opted out of the open bar (laughs) yeah (laughs) solution i like it I, i can now i can be more comfortable than i used to be around alcohol because i'm not just abstaining from alcohol right I'm not really fearful of peer pressure. I don't think that'll be the thing that makes me pick up a drink is when I'm trying to network with people. That'll be the thing I think, or I continue to hope that will make me not pick up a drink because that will be the day when I'm no longer able to network, when I'm no longer able to continue to even attempt to be successful. I do have to rely on a higher power because as we all seen and heard, I can't do it on my own. Just minimize engagement with the open bars and the parties and the places where the temptation is high, but you don't have to completely avoid them. And we all know ourselves. So knowing when to get out, if you're feeling a certain way. Yeah, I learned my first year here, I have a hard 45 minute limit on any networking event. It's like, okay, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to set my watch. If my fiance is with me, it's a half an hour. <laughs> you know, and then we'll go in there. I'll hang out. I'll pretty much know who I want to talk to. And then I'll leave. 
A timer is a good strategy. I will use that. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm making a parent. I'm going to say my hellos, and then I'm going to quietly exit. Carl, you recently uh, moved jobs but moved homes, correct? I did move homes. I, I do miss West Ashley. I do miss the golf course across the street. How do you change jobs being sober for the first time? That's what I'm experiencing now, and it is probably the most stressful thing I've ever done. You guys are fortunate enough to still go, be going through the character and fitness stage. For this new job, I had a background check. Fortunate, and, unfortunate, <laughs> you know, potato, potato. I had a background check, and I don't know what it was. It, it's probably just me so me being so used to things going wrong. I was wondering, where, where are they going to find out? It was probably the most stressful couple of weeks that I can remember for a long time. Fear and anxiety, being around new people that I've never worked with before. What are they going to think? Are they going to think I'm smart? Are they going to think I'm stupid? How do I impress them? How do I not look like I'm not trying to do too much? So that as a first experience is, is new. Moving houses, it's, it's my first house. It's my wife's first house. That was daunting. It's like you were mentioning earlier, learning to be an adult right? Definitely. That move from rent to mortgage is astonishing to someone like me with the mind state of an alcoholic in recovery. Even as an alcoholic in recovery, I still suffer from fears. I still have anxiety. There are still things going on on the inside that I have to figure out how to deal with. And that first day moving into that house was probably the scariest thing I can think about last year in 2022. My wife was excited, so she's on the phone with her friend who also happened to be buying a house at that during that same time. So they're all happy and stuff, and they're chatting it up. And I'm absolutely miserable. I, I was so used to, like I said earlier, so used to things going wrong so used to losing things, so used to tearing everything down that I was like, okay, it's a matter of time before there's a foreclosure sign out front. <laughs> what, what's it going to be? When's that going to happen? And that's all I can think about. And that's what it was like for the first two weeks living there. And it was, it was something I knew I could get past. And it, it took a lot of leaning on people like you, people like Gabe, you know, people I could just talk to, go to a meeting, mm. pick up the phone and call. I know. I, yeah, we know how the call goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but pick up the phone and call someone. And I got through it. Carl, if you had to give one piece of advice to a student who might be walking down the same road that you did, who is drinking in excess, unable to control it, unwilling to get help, what would that advice look like? It'd be pretty blunt. If you don't get help, your life will be over at some point. Whether it's in law school, after law school, you've got to get over yourself because our egos as lawyers, as law students are huge. But you've got to put that aside and get help. Whether you want help or not, get help. There's people that will help you. I knew that there were people that, was, that would help me. It's just I shied away from the help. <laughs> <laughs> 
what prompts the Carl 2023 to want to be receptive to that bluntness? What causes the guy who you are today to be receptive to that outreach when earlier that wasn't something that that worked? Is there advice for how to deliver that blunt message in a way that increases the likelihood that it succeeds? I think to increase the likelihood that it will succeed is letting people know that there are other people out there that are sober, that are doing the same thing you're doing. As an alcoholic, I sought out people that were always drinking. I sought out people that were a lot like me and could drink like me, and I would stay away from people that seemed like they didn't drink enough. So it would have helped me a lot if someone says, hey, look, here's a room full of people who are also law school Mm -hmm. students. Here's Beth Padgett. This is what she looks like in real life, you know, not hiding behind all the emails that she sends out, you know. (laughs) And here's Professor Jansen. Just letting people know there's help out there. Mm. There's other people. Had I known that there were other people out there, I would have been more receptive. I would have given it a try. Mm. Because I've had professors say, hey, you reek. Mm. I've had people say, hey, don't you think you should slow down? The answer was no, I shouldn't slow down or, okay, too bad I smell like alcohol, so does everyone else. It's knowing that there's a community out there that would, I think, at least for me, would have made me more receptive back then. I echo that absolutely because that was the exact feeling I had first semester. I felt like I was completely on my own. You know, I think some of us in the beginning when we're doing this, we kind of feel like we're different or that maybe we don't belong in this group. You know, I think that that's a common thought when you're, when you're trying to get sober in the beginning. And so I was always looking for people I could, you know, that were in my same circumstance. And I was like, boy, wouldn't it be great if I could find people at the law school that are, you know, in this journey as well, knowing that that community is there is essential. I think it's getting very, it's it's becoming very difficult uh, at this school to not know (laughs) that they're is a group of recovering law students and that they're recovering lawyers around. Mm, that is, we're definitely um, putting it out there. That's, that's wonderful. Every time I see something about it and, um, that y'all are doing on social media, my heart <laughs> just leaps and just a wonderful thing to see happening. I, I, I don't usually say that I'm proud of something because I think that implies that some lack of humility or something, but I'm just pr- so proud of this school and of y'all who are involved in this, who made this happen, and the administration and faculty and everybody has been, uh, just from the beginning, they've been receptive. Like I said, this is just a conversation we're all having. We started it. We're going to continue having it. And if you'd like to talk to any of us, please reach out. And the beginning of that is just talking about it. It's how we recover, is telling each other stories. Telling each other stories about what our lives are like. I do have a question for Professor Jansen. What's your biggest motivation for seeing students conquer addiction, alcoholism, and other substance abuse issues? 
Carl, you know, the shining city on the hill of the law profession is what you described. It's giving back. You can't be in that position until you're excited about the law, you know, the development of the law, who you are as a person. I think uh, you guys mischaracterize this as a podcast. This is a gift. That's my best answer. I'm satisfied. If you're a law student, an attorney, an alum, or work in the legal profession, and you feel like you might be struggling with stress or anxiety or depression or mental or substance abuse, we encourage you to reach out. If you have questions, ask. If you want to talk, ask. It's all confidential. The Charleston School of Law has open doors across campus. And you know what? One conversation can begin a journey to wellness. Our contact information is listed below in the show notes.